There's a thin line between manipulation and influence. I think if you use tactics, successful tactics, in order to get somebody to do something that you know that either is or may ultimately hurt them, that's manipulation, up and down. But when you use Effective tactics to get somebody to do something that is or might be in their best interest, that's influence. What's up, advocates? Today on the Claims Game Podcast, we've got my good friend, Randolph Love, public adjuster, life insurance extraordinaire. He came over to my house because we had some things to do, some business to discuss, and he decided to sit down with me for a live in-person claims game podcast. Really great conversation. Somebody I really like and admire and respect a lot. I think you're going to like this podcast because it's not just about public adjusting, although it is because frankly, that's what we have most in common. And we just go through some real trials and tribulations and stuff about what we've gone through as public adjusters. So if you're a public adjuster, you're going to enjoy that conversation, but also he's getting into life insurance, IULs, and all these different things that is hard for me to explain, so I'll allow him to explain to you. So if you're interested in saving on taxes and saving on different things and having some kind of life insurance policy, and you're not too sure how it is, Randolph has a way of explaining it so clearly that you should be able to understand it once it's all said and done. So hope you enjoy this amazing podcast. I love this guy. He's a great, really great guy. My friend Randolph Love. Enjoy this podcast in three, two, one. Welcome to the Claims Game Podcast with Vince Perry. Get all the tips you need from insurance claim advocates and professionals and grow your public adjusting career to the next level. And now the commercial claims advocate, Vince Perry. Listen up. Advocates, whether you're a public adjuster, contractor, or an attorney, if you have a client that has suffered any kind of catastrophic loss, whether that be by fire or storm or just any catastrophic loss that requires your client to have to move out and incur ALE and loss of use coverage, you need to think about looking at Black Diamond Services. This is an incredible idea for a service that I think is extremely valuable and I've actually personally used uh, for my clients myself. Basically what they do is they provide all of the necessary money that needed as needed to be done for the homeowner uh, to go and move to another place, whether that be a hotel or another home or whatever it is. They basically bill through their insurance policies loss of use coverage and basically they provide financial assistance so that the insured never has to incur any out-of-pocket expenses. It's an amazing service. I love the people at Black Diamond Services, especially Millie Varela. If you just contact her and contact Black Diamond Services, I'm telling you, they're going to take care of your climate clients like you wouldn't believe. I personally have a client who suffered a fire damage and had to use their ALE coverage. And all we did was refer them to Black Diamond. Our clients did not have to come out of pocket a single penny. Black Diamond provided all of the financial um, uh, money and they provided the actual location for the homeowner to stay. Amazing service. Contact Black Diamond Services today so you could find out more information for yourself. Just trying to like figure this thing out because this is the first time. Yeah. You know, it's the first time, right? That you heard your name? No. First time that I have a podcast at home, in the home studio, baby. Yeah. You are the first guest in the home studio. How do you feel about that, Randolph Love? You never forget your first. That's right. You never forget your first. You notice that I always play with the mic? 
I well, heard her say the same thing. Whoa, whoa. It's going to be that kind of podcast today? Oh, no, nah, bro. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. It could be. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's the first time that we have a podcast uh-huh. in the house, in the home studio. Look, I'm still fucking with my mic. Oh, yeah. Let it go, man. I want to have more people over to do this. I mean, I think this is, like, pretty cool. You know what we can't do because we've got our phones recording? We can't, like, do a story on social media. But it We can matter. tell a story. But we can tell a story. And we then can. repurpose it and make it a story. Mm-hmm. That would be a good story that we told a story to make it a story. <laughs> I like this so much better because on Zoom, when somebody's talking, you can't talk while they're talking. Because have you noticed that like it cuts yeah. out? Mm-hmm. But like with this, we can do that. Well, at least I don't know if it works, but at least in the roadcaster, there is a section to where you can flick, flick that off. Because what it comes is it you have you might have it set to where whenever someone talks, while you're talking, because you're the main voice, it, you know, it, 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 it quiets them. Oh, and, so and, what's and it's happening, a setting inside a real So what I notice is that now you see when I'm talking, your volume levels are going up also, though. So that means now I'm going to be on your mic as well. Oh, yeah. And but, you're going to be on my mic, which kind of sucks. Right. You know good, what I'm saying? You no, I know what you stop. Give, you stop giving me these looks. OK, because we've got two cameras on us. So people are going to be able to see your look. <laughs> no. Every time I say my mic. Okay, I'd be processing, man. <laughs> no, you've got a dirty mind, is what you nah, got, my friend. Sir, no, 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 no. Yeah, you got everybody fooled, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, hey, you got the whole clean <laughs> Rand Man image going on, you know. Don't turn down nothing but um, my collar. I'm Rand Man. I'm Mr. CPCU professional. I oh, don't yeah. have a dirty mind at all. CHFC. You yeah, know what I mean CPCU, CHFC, Element OP. You know, it doesn't matter. So what's up, bro? Hey, man, everything, man. I appreciate you for letting me come down here we worked out uh no we worked out till i failed and then you and johnny kept going so now nah, it was cool no but we kept pushing you you oh, yeah, wanted nah. to fail way before that and i'm like nope i can't go until you go ran absolutely you nah, know it was a, it was amazing man i needed that to get back energized and get back into the feel of getting in shape it's one thing to look in shape and it's another thing to be in shape i agree yeah I always tell people when you're working out, I think the most important thing, uh, I always break it down into three categories. Um, Health is number one. Performance is number two. And what I mean by performance is like, I don't know, say you got to pick up a big box. Mm -hmm. You don't want to pull your back. Yeah. If you exercise regularly, you know how to pick up with your legs, you know, and you're not going to pull your back because your back's already strong enough. And then the last thing should be looks. So is, is that your motivating factors? Uh, from highest priority to lowest priority why you work out it's what i try to always remind myself you know when you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're like oh i'm still a little chunky here still a little chunky there i gotta lose fat there. i'm like wait a minute that's not why i work out yeah health performance and then looks got it like when we, we were uh me and johnny were talking to you about how when we moved to this house how he came and he helped me oh yeah he, he got it in what what do you th- what do you think of johnny the romanian uh gladiator <laughs> I think he, he, I mean, because one thing about that I like about people where English isn't their first language, they get straight to the vocabulary words. They, it's none of that beating around the bush. This is good. This is bad. <laughs> I will kill you. <laughs> Come with me if you want to live. Like people, when English, at least that I noticed, when English isn't their first language, it's none of that... Um, uh, the you know the I can't think of the word uh, like, unnecessary words is right. uh yeah and, and you know for for people in our industry we like uh mm-hmm. you know what I mean 
because it just gets rid of all of the fluff. I don't know. Fluff, such a, well, you see, you look at now, you've got me going. What? You said fluff. What's fluff? It's kind of funny. Bro, now <laughs> see, that's you, sir. That's you. And, and, and speaking of fluff, so, all right, so when was the last time that you had somebody, uh, a, a carrier advocate, tell you you had fluff? And what was your response to that? That's a great question because it just happened two weeks ago. Uh-huh. So what was the, what did they call fluff? The generals. The general conditions. Yeah. The, so, ge- the generals in the, in the estimate. So when you say generals, you mean, all right, I know that this is the estimate. This is what we're trying to repair. But in order for us to effectively get to this repair, these are the general conditions, line items that I need to get it done. No, I mean the generals at the end of the estimate, like uh, uh, supervisory fees. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's what I mean. All right, supervisory fees, dumpster load, uh, permits and stuff that I have in there as well, you know. What do you put in your generals? Because you now you didn't answer my question, but yeah, I got, I'll get back to yours. Yeah, got, yeah, yeah. Well, me, it depends on what's going on. Like for example, let's say um, the repair is happening. Let's say it's a commercial repair, and it's happening in a what somebody might call a rough neighborhood. That repair is not going to get done in one day. Those materials are going to be on the ground. So one thing that I might put in uh, general conditions for commercial repair is fencing and security guard. Like, but most people wouldn't think about that. But if if it's in a a, a rough neighborhood, it's a, it's a repair that's going to last weeks. What's going to happen to this material? That's true. That's so actually- so that's something that I might put into general conditions that a carrier advocate might call fluff until I'm able to explain it in that way. Uh, but it's not saying you don't know it. me. I don't go straight to you're trying to underpay this claim. I like to give a story and, and I, then I asked them how would they do it? Because what I've learned is a lot of carrier advocates, they're not necessarily, um, they're not, you get, you do have some analysts, but of the three personality types, they're typically uh, aggressors or they're typically accommodators. So an aggressor, you just got to ask them how they would do it. And then if they say something that's ridiculous to you, just say, you know, what it seems like they're saying and then ask them, how do I overcome what it seems like you're saying? And then they usually get to something that's reasonable. And then you have the accommodators to where. They're just so happy. They, you know, especially if you meet them around the insured, they're almost saying anything and everything just to make sure everybody's happy. Yeah. But they're going to lead you to a cliff. Right. And you're not going to realize that they're not really going to accommodate you until you get to the end. So with the accommodators, what I do is memorialization is key. With the accommodators, if if they accommodate, and I'm going to keep asking them questions. All right, good, good, good. Boom. Then once I memorialize it in the email, what this accommodator did, and, and I'm assuming that they were being sincere, so they don't mind me memorializing the email. So then when I memorialize it, this what was just an accommodator's just talking to, to make sure they get out of there and everybody's happy with them just became now this is what the carrier said. Right, right. That's good. You, um, all right, I was going to ask you, do you ever go aggressor with an aggressor? It's hard. Only when they force it. You can curse, by the way, if you want. 
I know. Just saying. Yeah, only when they force it, man. That's like on- the F word. I don't know why. Because I said. Or if they say something, absolutely only when they ridiculous. fuck it up. No, but nah, only when they force it because yeah. uh, it's it's like sometimes. Well, I don't know, man. Uh, in my experience, the aggressors that come out, as long as you don't let it affect you, is because I I be watching from my peripheral vision the aggressors that are saying, "Ah, this isn't covered. Ah, this is an old roof." Uh, they had they had they had a claim um, last year. Because, you know, they a lot of the carrier advocates have way more information on our client than we do. Yep. You know, a lot of times we're going off of what they tell us. And they a lot of times they might not remember what happened. You know, people can't remember what happened a month ago, let alone two years ago when they filed their last claim. Right. When they were probably uh, wrongfully denied or substantially underpaid. So I don't expect them to tell me exactly everything that happened because memories can be deceiving. Uh, but this person knows that maybe I don't know everything based off of this, but they have everything in writing. So they start saying, oh, yeah, see, we paid for this on the last claim. Did you know about that claim? I say, oh, what claim? You know, I mean, I, I keep, you know, keep getting them going. Yeah. Keep, keep them keep them talking. Right. The more the more they talk to me, then I'm then I, I see where they're coming from. And then when they say something that I that I determine to be ridiculous. I say, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and then and then I keep doing what I'm doing, and I see him looking like trying to figure out like why. Why does he keep asking these questions? Not even not why not even why I keep asking these questions, but why did what I just say that typically makes another public adjuster go off, or another contractor go off? Why did he just say, hmm, interesting? Oh, because you could tell that he's trying to get you to go off, and you know that's exactly what he's trying to do. Exactly. Right. So you call him out on his bullshit, basically. Well, I call him out by not calling him out. Right, exactly. I like that. So the adjuster says, well, you and I know both that your generals are fluff. No, you, know, you and I know both that your generals are just fluff, and that's a fact. That's what he told me, that it was a fact. And I said, well, how is it a fact? Why do you think it's a fact? Why do you? And I actually asked him exactly what you said. Because you're, you're more strategic. A lot of this stuff just comes out of my mouth sometimes. I'm yes. not necessarily strategic. I'm like, well, I don't understand. Why do you think it's all fluff? And how is that a fact? It sounds like more like an opinion to me. Mm. And he's like, well, because I, I know that all you public adjusters, you just put those generals mm. in so you could fluff up the estimate. And I'm like, can you tell me if there's anything in the, in the generals that don't need to be there? Well, why does a supervisor need to be there if there's already a GC? Well, why does uh, this much dumpster load need to be there if it's just a small water loss or whatever? I forgot what he said. And I explained to him every single line item. Mm. I said, every single one of these line items need to be included. I said, and what you also have to understand is that if you want to you wanna sign a release today, right? And he's like, yeah, I want to see if we can settle in exchange for a release. And I said, so if I concede to all these line items and they get money, and they start doing the work. And God forbid, guess what? They need to hire a supervisor. They need a larger dumpster load. Or they need whatever else. That need, that they need an architect to come in there and do whatever it needs to do. If I don't negotiate these fees right now on the front end, mm. and then these come up later, guess whose ass it's going to be? Not yours. It's going to be mine. I said, yeah. so these need to stay. Mm-hmm. You know. Now, obviously, we're here to negotiate. We could try to figure something out. But if you're just going to start like that, then I'd rather we just end this conversation now. Okay, mm. I'll request that another adjuster be assigned to this claim. Someone more, you know, capable of doing this here, and uh, I'll settle it with somebody else. Were y'all on phone in person? It was on phone. Okay, we went back and forth. And the funny thing is that he called me, and he started off like all like, "Hey, I want to work this out." 
but your generals are fluff. I don't know why you have this. Why do you have that? That doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. I'm like, wait a minute. Wait, didn't you just say that you called me because you want to work this out, but you're disagreeing with every mm. single line item that's not in your estimate. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I hung up the phone. This is actually in a case study, one of our, one of our YouTube videos. I hung up the phone and I started, because it got, it got a little ugly. Mm. He started calling me buddy. Like, you know, like. All right, pal. Listen, buddy. All right, champ. Listen, buddy, because you know, All buddy. Right, a, yeah, exactly. Those things. Um, well, he said something. He said a couple other things. No, nothing like insulting, but, you know, it was, it was insulting. Gaslighting. Yeah. So we hung up the phone because I couldn't take it anymore. Because actually, believe it or not, I don't know about you, but I hate arguing. Yeah, I don't. I, 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 I'm innately a non-adversarial person. And. It's funny that we say that because we're in a business that's very adversarial yeah, or can be. Mm-hmm. So I start typing up this nasty email and, you know, I remember what my mother told me sometimes, take a step back, think about what you're going to say before you can, because I'm typing and I can tell, like, as I'm reading, I'm just like, eh, this sounds a little like I'm like, I'm bitter. Right. Yeah. So I literally went away from the computer. I did something else for about an hour and then I came back and I started typing it again. And then I'm like, why am I doing this? Let me just call the supervisor. Mm. You know, some people don't want to take the time to do that. So I called, boom, 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 talked to the supervisor, the most amazing woman. I actually saved her number. The next time I have a claim with that insurance company, I'm just going to go straight to her. And she actually told me to do that. Mm. And I settled the claim for, I mean, I don't remember exact numbers, but he was offering like $4,000 in new money. And uh-huh. we ended up getting like $29,000 in new money. Amazing. From calling the supervisor. How did you have the supervisor's contact? Well, I just called the insurance company. And, and I said, I said, need to speak with such and such supervisor. Here's what happened. He was saying this, this, and that. I can't negotiate with this man anymore. I need to go to this direct supervisor. And it wasn't to negotiate. It was just to tell the supervisor that this guy's a prick, mm. basically, in so many mm-hmm. words. And she was actually the one, well, maybe we can work it out. And I said, okay, let's work it out. And it was funny, you know, and I swear this is a true story. Five minutes after I hung up with her, he sent an email and he upped his offer from 4000 to 6000 Because he didn't know that he you He didn't were... know because it was five minutes after. He didn't know that I had just called the, the supervisor. What do they call that? Bat channeling. It was funny. Yeah. And I was like, don't worry. I already spoke with such and such your supervisor and I was able to settle the claim with her. Thank you for your time. What was his reply? He didn't. Ah. <laughs> there was none. See, all right. So, all right. That's interesting. Because a a lot of times I run into the supervisor that is kind of uh, on the fence. Where they don't really take a side, but they they they're obviously trying to back up their uh, adjuster, which, you know, makes sense. I'm empathetic to why they would do that. But it seems like you you know how to talk to them to where. They're willing to accept what you're saying. The reason why is I think I come across, I mean, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I think I'm pretty easy to get along with. I think. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> so It's hard. So I learned when I had my, I always go back to my awakening experience, right? Uh-huh. And we can get into that if you want. I learned that, you know, I'm not a bad dude. I'm an okay guy. And if we have a problem, chances are there's something wrong with you. Mm, that's yeah. sort of how I look at it because I try to approach every single relationship and every single conversation I have with somebody with the utmost respect mm-hmm. every single time. I'm always coming up to people guard down. 
you know, that they talk about framing and sales. Like I try to take framing down yeah. and all that stuff, like with everybody. I try to do that with everybody. Mm-hmm. And I do that over the phone and I do that by email. I mean, Tammy's always laughing because we've got a couple of adjusters. They send like these nasty emails and she's always like, Vince, why don't they send emails like you? I'm like, well, we're working on that because my emails are always just like super nice. I'm oh, yeah, of course. really nice. Um, so More with honey. So if I know that that adjuster, so when that does happen and I speak to the supervisor, I already know in the back of my mind, chances are, this is not the first time there's been a complaint about that adjuster. Ah, okay. So I think it's the equivalent of what we were talking about, how you don't know something wrong until you get adjusted. Like a chiropractor, a lot of people don't know that they're walking crooked until they get the first adjustment. It sounds like you're saying you had that adjustment in your awakening experience to where you're like, if I ever encounter someone that seems completely off, more chances than not, it has to be them. Mm-hmm. And if I'm getting this feeling based off of my adjustment, I I know that if I take the extra step of talking to the supervisor, chances are they're going to say, yeah, yeah, I got that same vibe. Exactly. Understood. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, that's, uh, that's relationships. I, I mean, that's what it's all about. You, uh, so the, 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 the supervisor you talk to, does she get a Christmas card? That's a good idea. I'm just saying. Does she? No. But I, <laughs> I, I, mean, I can't. I should. I should give her. I'll definitely call her again. Like I told you, I got to look at my notes. I can't yeah, happy new, like you know, Happy New Year. This yeah. is Vince. Uh, yeah. Thank you for helping me out on that claim early later this year. Yeah. I uh, mean, you, now you just stuck in her head. Yeah. Vince Perry. I, I think that. a lot of people know who you are, though. You think so? You think when I call and a desk adjuster calls me to negotiate, you think they know who I am? I think your name probably sounds familiar to them. It's a small world that we're oh, in. Oh, yeah. This is not a huge... It's it's a big industry, but it's not a huge amount of people, especially ones with pair with an I. I think about that sometimes. And then the other thing, when I talk to them, I, I like to always tell the desk adjusters, you need to come over on my side, especially if like I could see that they're good at what they do. They're respectful. The negotiation is fair and we're going through everything. And, you know, I'm just like, why don't you become a public adjuster? I've I, thought about it. I do it on almost everyone. Yeah, you see it. <laughs> because, you know, when it, 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 you know, it falls into giving somebody. And, and once again, I don't do it. Uh, in, if I don't do it, uh, if I come across, like you say, a prick. Oh, no, nah, we're not having that conversation. No, no, no. But when I come across somebody that seems to be trying to do a good job, even though I know they have to follow guidelines. Oh, yeah, we having that conversation. For sure. Because it comes across as a compliment. Exactly. Because imagine, imagine if they met Obama and Obama said, you should be a president. You know what I mean? It's us saying, I'm a public adjuster. You should be a public adjuster. And they know the money that could be made in this business. They're oh, yeah. stupid. Even even with the uh, uh, a lot of uh, independent adjusters, because some of the staff adjusters, yeah, they're probably averaging maybe sixty grand, maybe, maybe. Uh, but the independent adjusters, oh yeah, they're doing six figures plus. But they're grinding, man. It's oh a yeah, grind. we don't grind as much. I'm not mm-hmm. afraid to admit it. Not nearly as much. It built, but it builds their muscle. It builds their. Yeah. It builds their. Like when 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 a lot of independent adjusters come from. Doing three to four claims a day, five to six days a week, Mm -hmm. and then they know they can become a PA with the same integrity, right? And only do about maybe two to three a week, if that. I mean, yeah, let's let's be honest. 
but make more. You know, it seems like a no brainer if you if you see yourself as a a claim adjuster. And, and that's a conversation that I had with somebody. We have staff adjusters. We have independent adjusters. We have public adjusters. But in the middle, we're all claim adjusters. adjusters. Yeah, that's it. And and, and 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 theoretically, we're all supposed to be thinking the same way. Now, unfortunately, on both sides, a lot of adjusters don't actually read the policy. Unfortunately. Right. But if you're somebody who is like living like you, you, you live and breathe this, you read in the policy and you're applying coverages appropriately, including your fluff that you put in your uh, your <laughs> gotta, general. Got to have it in there. <laughs> got to have that fluff. Well, all right. So uh, let's go back to what we were saying. So. All right. So what what's some, what do you typically put in your general conditions? Oh, man, I like I said, the ones I could remember right now is the is the I'll put permits and fees. I'll put uh, the dumpster load. I'll put the supervisor fee. And there's like two or three more that I can't remember. Right How now. often do you have somebody call your temporary toilet fluff? Oh, yeah. No, that happens, too. So what's your response? Do you have a response to that? Or are they going to go piss and shit? <laughs> I, 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 so I, I say, oh, oh, you know, the one I get now, the the uh, the covid one. They don't like those COVID. They don't like that COVID. Oh, yeah. I, I I'm have. like, dude, we're going through a pandemic. These contractors have to have extra masks. Like, how, I don't understand how you don't understand that. Yeah. But we're not putting it in there. It's fluff. That's fluff. COVID is fluff. Yeah. And it, 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 it's funny because just like you say, I, uh, I, I've had responses where they should go to the gas station down the street. Because what happens is they, uh, they say, uh, you don't need no toilet. That's fluff. And I say, so. Are you saying that these guys working in the hot sun should go into the insurance bathroom? And some of them say, well, yeah. no. But some of them say, yes. And I say, so you're, it sounds like you're okay with somebody tracking through their house to use their private bathroom, people that they don't know. And then, you know, the reasonable ones back down. And then they say, well, they can go to the gas station down <laughs> the street. I say the gas station down the street. So, all right. So, all right. So let, let, let's, all right, cool. So how many breaks should they have? And then, we, and then, and then, and then we start going and then, all right, well, so should we, let's go ahead and add extra labor hours for the break. Uh-huh. That's a way that you can get around. Okay. Go ahead. Take the, okay. If you're considering this temporary toilet fluff, um, it, but I, you know, I don't just outright say it. I get them to tell me how many breaks. And then I say, well, well, how long should it take them to go and set up shop? Because if you're losing a, a gas station bathroom, you got to set up shop. <laughs> you're not just bare assing it, right? That's right. So, so, so how long should it take this crew to go set up shop? Because I'm assuming, because they, they got to work together. This is a teamwork. So I'm, I'm assuming they're taking it all together. So they got to wait for one to go in and set up shop. The second one to go in and set up shop. The third. So let, let, how many? And then boom, now we got an hour. Now I just got the same amount, if not more, for putting in extra labor hours for them to go to the restroom. Everybody's happy. Yep. But it's one of those things to where don't be so sure of what you want that you wouldn't accept something better. Somebody might die on a hill for that toilet. Yeah. Instead of asking reasonable questions to get them to take you where you want to go because it's all about the dollar and if extra labor hours either meet or exceed what that toilet is we won 
You are a master at doing that. What do you mean? Asking those questions. Like, you must be a nightmare to negotiate against. And I mean that in the I think I'm a dream. Utmost respect. Because. Where'd you learn how to do that? Uh, Chris Voss. How many times did you read that book? Uh, I, I'm probably on my fifth read. Get right out of here. Uh, yeah, I'm probably on my fifth read. Uh, because. He's got a master class. Did you see that? I've been through his five day master class. Oh, yeah. where the one that's online or like Yeah, I, I went through the one online, but he also offers a live one that's probably like what, maybe ten to twenty grand, I think. You know what I mean? Uh, I like it, but Yeah, but still, I mean, imagine what you learned if you pay ten or twenty grand for that. Oh yeah. No, I, I I'm I'm willing to invest in myself. But ten to twenty grand on a book uh for a book, because I'm real, I'm I'm able to read a book and comprehend. Yeah. Now, and and, and from what I learned in his master, the online masterclass, the five day masterclass is he has built on what's in the book. So he, there is more that he's built on. I'm gonna take that than what's in the book. And and what it is is you just ask those questions. You, you be uh, what he calls tactically uh, show tactical empathy. Right. You say you're not agreeing with them. You're just saying what it seems like, sounds like, looks like they're saying. And then a lot of people psychologically just want to be heard. Once they feel like they're being heard, when you when you point it out like that, then they're willing to negotiate. And like I say, you, ju- you just ask reasonable questions to get them down that path. And, 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 and once again, somebody might say that's manip- that's manipulation. OK. In my opinion, there's a thin line between manipulation and influence. I think if you use tactics, successful tactics, in order to get somebody to do something that you know that either is or may ultimately hurt them, that's manipulation up and down. But when you use effective tactics to get somebody to do something that is or might be in their best interest, that's influence. That's influence. It's, it's, it's like uh, when people, they bet on horses. They bet on games. They bet on everything in their life in order to try to get money in to take care of themselves and their family, but they won't bet on the absolute certainty. They won't bet on the fact that they know that everybody is going to die. Life insurance. It's some people they'll bet on everything else, but they won't get life insurance, even though they know that's the quickest way to take their families from being um, uh, low to middle class to breaking generational curses to take them to another level. It it, it just it's amazing to me, man. I like the transition you just did there. What did I do? Oh, so one of the reasons why you're here is uh, you're going to do one of our expert videos that we have. Yep. In case you guys didn't know, we're doing expert videos on YouTube where I've got all my good friends coming on and sharing some of their knowledge, some of their wisdom. Uh, obviously, you are an active public adjuster, yeah. an amazing public adjuster at that, but you've also made a little bit of a transition yeah. into life insurance. Um, you want to explain that? Well, explain why and explain like why did you make this transition? Well, and seemingly it does seem like a, a it is a slight pivot. But I, I wouldn't consider it a full transition. One of the things that a lot of people, I think, in our industry doesn't realize is as a public adjuster, of course, majority of the time we're helping people with restoration when it comes to their residential and commercial properties. But that's not the field we're in. We're actually in the field of 
finance. It's a reason why public adjuster licenses are regulated by the Department of Financial Services. We actually don't. Homeowners insurance is not insuring the house. Auto insurance is not insuring the vehicle. It's insuring the potential of financial detriment that you have for owning and possessing those properties. So when somebody when somebody's house is damaged by a covered event and it isn't appropriately repaired, let's say uh, somebody, uh, an insurance carrier comes in and they 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 drastically underpay them. And let's say, you know, just throwing a number out there that they were underpaid 50 grand. That 50 grand doesn't just disappear into the ether. It's coming from the equity. It's coming from your potential resale value. If somebody has a a home inspector that comes in there that's about their stuff, they're going to find that something wasn't adequately repaired. And then when that gets put in that home inspector report, that's when that potential buyer is using that as leverage against you. That's why the Department of Financial Services regulates insurance adjusters. It's because we're protecting that person's financial future and potential financial detriment. So uh, the the same uh, financial uh, financial uh, Department of Financial Services that regulates public adjusters also regulates life insurance agents. And once again, it's the same thing. It's regulate. It's it's basically making sure that. If all right, so let me use this as an example. Let's say somebody has a child today, and that person truly feels that if I'm allowed thirty years, if if God or whoever I believe is uh, uh, my creator gives me thirty years with this child, I'm going to be able to teach them everything that they need to know to be successful in life. Because you can try to say you're going to teach them everything in the first one year. But some of that stuff isn't going to make sense until they're five. And some of that stuff isn't going to make sense to their 10. And some of that stuff isn't going to make sense to after they go through puberty. So so uh, you can't just like give them everything in the first 13 years. Some of that stuff isn't going to make sense to after they graduate high school until they realize that high school isn't the end all be all. Some of that sense isn't going to make sense until they either uh, go to college or decide college isn't for them. Some of that stuff isn't going to make sense until they buy their first house. So it makes sense where you would get uh, you say, I need 30 years. But if for some reason. I'm not able to give my child these 30 years, if for some reason I'm not able to give them the time it takes to keep them from financial ruin. I need a a lump sum of money to make up for that what I couldn't teach them because a a parent might say I need to show them how to buy a house because I bought a house two times and I learned from those two times. But it's not going to make sense until they're going to buy their first house. But let's say they're not going to buy their first house until they're 25. But you passed away when they were 20. But you left them a lump sum of money that when if and when they make that mistake with their first house, that lump sum of money is going to offset that mistake. You see what I'm saying? So uh, what I did was I said, all right, I am a public adjuster. I do help a lot of people. I do make a substantial obscene amount of money to some people. Right. But when I'm not working, I'm not getting paid. 
Yes, I'm a public adjuster. Yes, I help a lot of people. Yes, I make an obscene amount of money, but I'm only helping these people in this one event. I say, well, let, let me let me try something out. Let, let me go ahead and, and try to set it up to where not only am I still helping these same people, but even when I'm not working, my residuals, I'm still getting paid. So it's one of those give and give type relationships. I learned that from you. I said give and take. You said, no, it's give and give. There you go. Right. Yeah. So it's one of those give and give relationships to where I said, all right, now let me help people. So then I took it a step further. I said, all right. Am I going to be a. Am I going to be a, the equivalent of a primary care physician or am I going to be a specialist? I got a story. So do you remember when the Chrysler. 300 first came out. Yeah. I mean. You're not familiar with the. All right. So the Chrysler 300 is a car made by Chrysler, of course. But when it first came out. Everybody was comparing it to a Bentley, at least the people that I know. I and a lot of people yeah. that are familiar with Chrysler 300 be like, yeah, yeah, I remember. Right. You know, they compared it to a Bentley. Yeah. You know, it was it was a nice body, had good lines, had a huge <laughs> wheel wells. Beautiful car. Nice, uh, big, uh, broad frame. Yeah. Boom. Every time you saw the Chrysler, well, that looked just like a Bentley. That just looked, looked just like a Bentley. And that was the feeling for me and my friends and for a lot of people. But it's not a Bentley. Let me tell you. <laughs> One day I was walking through a parking lot. Right. And for, for, for I don't know how this happened, but it was a Chrysler and a Bentley right next to each other. And when I saw that for the first time with them being right uh, juxtaposed to next to each other, I said, a Chrysler 300 looks nothing like a <laughs> Now, you're going to come across people who are life insurance agents, and they're going to know a lot about a bunch of different policies. They're going to know about term policies. They're going to know about whole life policies. They're going to know about variable type policies. They're going to even be selling securities. They're going to be selling annuities. They're going to know all of this stuff. That's your primary mm -hmm. care physician. The guy that only wants the guy or girl that only a uh, guy or woman that only wants uh, a fifty dollar uh, uh, copay. Well, you explained to me uh, the primary care physician is just that person that goes and has a little bit of knowledge about everything. But if you want to really get on a I don't know strict healthy diet, you're going to go to a specified dietitian. If you want to know what's going on with the cells inside of your body, maybe you're going to go see a biologist to take a look at what's going on inside and do a test and, you know, like, how's your vitamin A level? How's all that stuff? You want to mm -hmm. go to a specialist. Ear, nose, and throat, foot doctor. Sure. It, it, and once again, these people went to the same medical school. They did the same residency. It's just one person decided to focus on one thing. But that one thing made their stock go up. Yes, I'm a life agent, but I only focus on one thing. Uh, Matt's funded index universal life policies. All right, you got to say that slower. Matt's funded index universal <laughs> life policies. The reason why slower. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but and the reason why I focus on it is because it's the only vehicle, the only vehicle that allows somebody to put money into it. Allow somebody and, and, and depending on how who's paying for it, whether it's you or the business, if the, if your business is paying for it, it's a business expense. So it's the only vehicle that allows somebody to put money into it tax free, then borrow against it tax free. Utilizing it like you uh, I, I said, uh, everybody likes twin babies, right? 
you would literally have the cash in your hands and you would look on the screen and see the digital money. You would look on the screen and see the same money that you have in your hand cash that you're able to utilize. It's a beautiful thing, man. On top of that, it's, I mean, you sold me. So I want, I'll tell you right now on air, we're going to, we're going to figure this out. That's what's up. Um, but what I like about it too, it's basically replacing one of those shitty savings accounts. Yeah. Um, number one, cause you can take out the money. Uh, number two, you've got a life insurance policy, which God mm-hmm. forbid something happens. At least your loved ones will be taken care of. And then number three, you're going to make 7%, right? 10%, no matter how the stock market goes. Exactly. Cause what it is, is, uh, some people are are superstitious. As soon as you start talking about a life policy, they, their ears turn off because in their mind, as soon as you mention it, that means something's going to happen to them. And then as soon as you say, like, oh, I don't need a life policy. That's when I have to say, don't think about what it is. Think about what it does. Would you rather have something be called an investment and owe taxes on it or something to be called a life policy and owe no taxes on it? And then people will say, well, why does the government, the government of all people, let you not pay taxes? It's because they assume, based off the way a majority of people live their lives, that when you retire, they're going to have to take care of you with Social Security, with Medicare, Medicaid, all that. They assume, based off the way most people live, that whenever the main breadwinner dies in the family, like, uh, and it could be the man, it could be the woman, they assume they're going to have to take care of that person's dependents for the rest of the, for at least a, a good part of their lives. But they know, based off history, anybody who gets these type of policies, historically, they're proven to take care of themselves because of how effective it is. So they don't want to charge you taxes because if they charge people taxes for these type of things, people will stop getting them. And if they stop getting them, it'll they'll end up having to pay more for the people who are not taking care of themselves. There are three ways that you can get money out of this type of policy. The sad way, the dumb way, and the smart way. All right, so here's the sad way. Listen to the mic a little bit more. Yeah. You can't hear me, sir? No, I see. That sounds better. So here's the sad way. The sad way is, let's say uh, somebody uh, gets a policy started that day, right? And then the next day they get hit by a bus. And you might have paid a $100 premium to get it started. Now, for just $100, your family just got a million dollars, right? In order order to move forward without you. Not if you ask them, they would probably prefer to have you. Yeah. But since you're gone, this million is going to help make up for not having you, right? Right. That's the sad way to get it. It it works. (laughs) It's a great return on your investment. Yeah. But it's very sad. Yeah. The dumb way is to withdraw money from this policy. Now, when you withdraw money from this policy, it's a taxable event. Now, and you're forever limited to how much you can put back in there. That's the dumb way. The smart way is to borrow against it. So what happens is or when you borrow against that money, they say, all right, you got 100000 in here and you want to borrow against it. You want to borrow 90000 What we're going to do is because we know a lot of people with savings accounts because we went to their high schools and elementary schools and paid for a bouncy house. And we convinced them that a savings account was the way to go, even though we're only giving them one percent or less point zero one, two, three. That's still being taxed. Not Not only are they giving you only one percent or less, it's still a taxable event. And 
and it's not outbeating inflation. Uh, right now we're in a hyperinflation mode, but just on a normal year, inflation is two to three percent. So let's see if people can understand this. If your money is only growing, if your money that you have in the savings account is only growing one percent a year, if that, and inflation is two to three percent every year, is your money worth the same, less, or more every year? Right. It's worth less. less every single time. Yeah. If the cost of everything is going up at least two and you're getting paid at, uh, at the most one, your money is worth less and less and less. And you're being taxed on that one. So what happens is and once again, uh, this is just the way the world works. Most people are OK putting their money in just a savings account. So what they do is they give you that money out of people's savings accounts and they give them one percent because they're. Uh, by all all rights and purposes, they seem happy with that one percent. They give you one percent. They give you that money, and then they charge you at least two point two five percent. So, guess what happens when they charge you two point two five percent when it comes to the IUL policy or index universal life, not whole life, but when it comes to an IUL policy, they say not only do you not have to pay us back. But this interest that we're charging you, as soon as we're charged to you, we're going to credit you that same amount. And when we credit you that same amount, hey, do you want us to use this credit to buy you some upside options? What are upside options? Upside options when they buy the index, and that's where the index comes from. Upside options is when they say, we're betting that the stock market is going to do good this year. So we're going to uh, we're going to basically uh, uh, buy at a low. And we're going to sell high. We're going to go ahead and let these people know that we want to buy it right now at this low price. And when it goes up, we're going to sell it. But let's say the stock market does terrible that year. We're just going to let it expire. We're just going to let it expire to where now you didn't make any money, but you didn't lose any of your capital due to market volatility. It's the. And once again, it seems unbelievable because I can keep going and I'm probably, go, you know, of course, that I'm going to go deeper into the weeds. And, and any questions you got, I'm going to answer it uh, when I do the expert video. But it seems unbelievable based off of how we were raised. But this is what people have been doing since 1980s when E.F. Hutton uh, first looked at the Internal Revenue Code, 70, 72E. Uh, 7702 and 101A and said, hold up, based off this internal revenue code, as long as we call this a life policy, it's going to grow and grow tax free. And once they did that, it changed everything. What's the difference between this might be a really stupid question. No stupid questions. What's the difference? You said to withdraw it is a stupid way and to borrow is a better way. What's exactly the difference? Because when you look on your tax, uh, when you do your taxes, there are three taxable events. There are earned income, passive income, and portfolio income. Borrowing is never a taxable event. When you borrow money to buy a car, you're not being taxed. But the, the definition of borrowing means you need to give it back. Borrowing means eventually you need to give it back. All right. So, for example, when you're dealing with a whole life policy, they expect that money back. They do. And even if you don't pay it back in your lifetime, they're, they're still going to take it. But while while you're alive, you're not getting credited for them charging you interest. That's a whole life policy. And a lot of people who who, at least from my experience, who talk about whole life over IULs. The reason why they're so gun ho about it is because they've been 
uh, they've been paying into it for 30 plus years and they don't want to feel like they made a dumb decision. Right. All right. So that, that's one thing. All right. So when you borrow against it. So I didn't say actually borrow the money. You're borrowing against. They're basically saying I've put in. Let's say I put in ten thousand dollars. OK. OK. Now what? And I want to I want I want to take out nine thousand. All right, so that's when you go ahead and say you 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 log into your uh, screen, uh-huh. you check a box because they're gonna have two boxes there. Uh-huh. One gonna say, do you want to withdraw nine, or do you want to borrow nine? Uh-huh. You're gonna check the box, borrow nine, mm-hmm. and then that's when they're gonna pull that money out of people's savings accounts and give it to you. Okay, okay. Now they're go- now of course you owe this money, uh-huh. and every year you're gonna be charged interest on this money. Uh-huh. But every time you get charged interest, they credit you the same interest, right? Okay. So, boom. And so, then you're like, all right, if I don't pay it back, uh-huh. when do they get it back? They get it back when you die. So, it's deducted off at the end of the policy? Yes, sir. So, what's going to happen uh-huh. is whenever you pass away and your beneficiaries get they, uh, whatever the death amount is, they're going to subtract how much uh-huh. you owe. So... And the way it works is if, if you have a million dollar policy, that doesn't mean you're depositing a million dollars, right? That costs, like you start slow, right? You put it in, you get a million dollar policy and you put in money every single month, right? Yeah. So, so the way it works is when, when they first figured this out back in the, in the 1980s, uh, people were just taking out large lump sums of money and then dumping it into a life policy. So the internal revenue, the IRS was saying, hold up. You, so your life policy is for $500,000. They say, yes. But you have 500000 in cash in here. Yes. Why do you need a life policy for $500,000 uh, $500, life policy and you use 500000 in cash immediately? That doesn't make sense. And then that's when they say it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. That's the way the Internal Revenue Code is written. So that's when uh, the IRS tried to sue EF Hutton and they lost. So after they lost, they, they went to the government and say, hey, uh, this can destroy the banking system as we know it. We have to have a way in order to regulate this. How stuff. they get the money back. Basically. All right. So basically the, the way they the no, way, no, but I'm just saying they need to have a way to get the money back. That's what they were trying to they're like. We well, they, they had out. to have a way to slow the bleeding. So just to get back to this. OK, if I have a million dollar policy and I have deposited, I don't know, one hundred thousand dollars over the years. Mm hmm. And I decide to, I don't know, I don't know, buy some huge building or something like that. And I withdraw $90,000. Borrow. Borrow. Oof, you got me. Yeah. And I borrow $90,000 and I die tomorrow. That million dollar policy now just becomes $910,000. Yeah, they're going to subtract that 90 that you owe. And how much money, what are the different... Terms, like not the terms. What are like there's a million dollar policy, there's a ten million dollar policy, there's a five hundred thousand dollar policy. All right. So if you're somebody all right, so let's say that you're somebody that only cares about the death benefit. Like okay. that's your main goal is the death benefit, which in my opinion is it, not, right. Yeah. So if, if your main goal is the death benefit, it don't matter how you put the money in there, right? But if your main goal is to be able to utilize these things do, throughout your life, what you do is, all right, because they have what they call the seven pay rule. So what the seven pay rule is, you can only put in so much money, 
but you cannot put in that the money that it takes in order to justify the life insurance faster than seven years. However, here's another benefit to having a, 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 a IUL policy as opposed to a whole life policy. It's still called a seven pay rule. But if you have a max funded index universal life policy, you're able to put as much money that you want in there within five years or four years and one day. So uh, I, I think your question was, hold on, rephrase the question. because yeah, I, I, okay. I think my question is, what's the cost difference, I guess? Of having a million dollar policy compared to a ten million dollar policy, is that does that mean I have to deposit more every month? Well, all right. So let's say it's it's basically determined based off of your age. Oh, and based okay. off of how much money you have to put in. So oh, so that just gets determined based on you filling out the application, your health, your age, and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, well, th- that's that's how we determine if you you know qualify for a life policy, and and I'm going to get to that because there's some people that they know for a fact they don't qualify for a life policy. So don't let me forget to talk about surrogates, right? But what it is is d- depending on your age and depending on how much money that you want to put up, that then determines how much your death benefit should be to start out. Uh, so, so what they uh, what yeah. they have inside of the policy is is a decreasing term policy. That million dollars is actually a term policy built inside of the uh, Max Funded Index Universal Life Policy. And as you put money in it, it every year. That decrease in term renews and as it renews, it's saying, all right, this person is older, so they don't need as much health uh, life insurance and they put in so much money. So it's offsetting how much they need. So every year your cost of insurance gets lower and lower and lower. When typically people think about insurance, they think every year it's supposed to get higher and higher. No. That's another benefit of Max Funded Index Universal Life Policy. But but let, let's say that you're somebody who, you know based off of your health, based off of multiple things that you don't qualify. Another benefit of Matt's funded in that universal life policies is they let you use surrogates. Like they could use you and me? Or, no, you have to have an insurable interest. So, for example, let's say you're somebody who has bad health, but you have a child that has good health. You're able to use your child <laughs> as a surrogate. You, Because, uh, once again, it's not about the death benefit. So, you want the life benefits. You want to be able to put money in and take money out and take money out tax free. Right. You want that money to grow using one of the wonders of the world compound interest. Right. And because you're the owner of the policy, you get all of the life benefits, even though you use your child with, and you can use your child. You can use your spouse. You can use a parent. You can use a sibling. Anybody that you have insurable interest in, you use them as a surrogate to get the policy started. But you're the one that owns it. So you're able to do whatever you want with it, even though you utilize them to offset your inability to qualify. Gotcha. So many benefits. Gotcha. If I put in one hundred thousand dollars. Uh, and I take out 90 mm-hmm. that's still now still only growing that 7% is only growing off of the 10,000 that's left over no sir that's I'm glad you asked that it's actually growing off of the large number so <laughs> so so even though you borrow 90 it's going to be calculated which off means that. I could only borrow 10 after that right yeah, yeah okay. but 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 guess what? If you're averaging seven to ten percent, that very next year you just earn seven to ten percent tax-free interest. Now this is internal rate of return, right? So once again, this is not an investment. 
It's a life policy. Wait a minute. So if it's a million dollar policy, I've got $10,000 left in it and it makes 7%, I'm going to make 7% of a million dollars? No. 7% of the money that the cat the cash buildup that you have in there. Of the so, 10,000. So let's let's once again, that million is there. And every year that your that the cash uh re- value of that policy grows, it's going to subtract from how much you need for that million. Okay. But every year simultaneously based off uh Tefra, Defra and Tamra, you you you're only re- you're not required to have a million anymore. Now, now that next year you might only be required to have nine hundred. So now you're only required to have nine hundred, and you've built that cash value. That's why the cost of insurance is getting burnt on both ends of the candle because your your requirement is being burnt down, and your cash value offsetting what you required to be having is burnt down. So once again, if you put a hundred thousand and borrow ninety, and you take that ninety thousand and throw it against the wall and let it fall on the floor. You have no idea what happened to that 90. You just knew you had a great year. You went on some vacations. Uh, you, 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 you visited Amsterdam, maybe, right? I like Amsterdam. So, all right. So when, when they calculate that money, how much you do, and once again, this is if it's in the general account portfolio, which historically has been averaging 7 to 10% a year. Now, when we do illustrations uh, based off compliance, we cannot say, seven to 10 percent a year and what they always tell people is uh 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 what's the word i'm paraphrasing but basically past events isn't uh a, isn't necessarily uh going to all right let me past events isn't necessarily going to let you know what future events are mm-hmm. but what else do we have to go off of what you just go to just conjure up what so historically these insurance companies that's been around for 100 and 150 plus years, because I'm only uh, uh, leveraging insurance companies that have been around for 100 plus years, people who have shown themselves to be good at managing money. People just one in, just one of these insurance companies are managing trillions of dollars, which is what the entire United States manages. But they manage it just one building. And, and the government is using so many resources to manage trillions of dollars. And, and just one of these companies is managing trillions of dollars every year. So so what you do is they, they they're going to take that one hundred thousand. You got 90 in your hand. And then that, that seven to 10 percent is going to be calculated off the hundred. Because once again, uh. even though that you're even though you're not able to use it anymore. No, I get it. You get it. All right. So what did, what did you catch off of what I just said? Because I know it might seem like I'm rambling sometimes no. because I get excited. No, no, no. I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. you. Oh, no. Um, yeah. So if you if you got a hundred, you've put in a hundred thousand dollars and you decide tomorrow to take out ninety thousand dollars. You still are considered someone who has put in a hundred thousand yes, dollars and your seven percent or whatever increase in the stock market happened that year is based on the amount of cash that you've put in up to that point. Mm hmm. And and now that seven to ten percent, cool. that doesn't count. So I, I this so is your some, ten automatically becomes what seven percent of a hundred thousand dollars, seven thousand dollars. Yeah. So your ten becomes seventeen. But guess what? When you borrow money, they're going to ask you how much you want your your interest rate to be. And you say the more the merrier. Because all right, so let me add. Most people they're always going to go. And I only know that because he explained all of this to me yesterday. Oh yeah, because <laughs> I tried to. So, so 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 most people they want their interest rate to be as low as possible. Low auto yeah. loan, low That's home mortgage. The common, yeah. But if you know whatever your interest rate that they're charging you is going to immediately be offset by that same amount in a credit, and they're going to allow you to use that credit 
to go ahead and buy upside options, guess what? That 7 to 10% just turned into at least 15% or more. Oh, wow. Because now you don't have to use that credit to buy upside options, but why not? Right. And once again, what upside options means is if the market does good, boom, you got that. But if it does bad, we're just going to let that expire. Because the worst thing that can happen, because so far I've just been giving you the safe path Mm -hmm. of keeping in what they call the GAP, the general account portfolio, and averaging what has been averaging for over 100 years, 7 to 10% a year, playing it safe. But let's say you decide to take that 7 to 10% and also buy upside options with that. You are able to do that, but what could potentially happen, let's say the market does bad that year. And all of your friends just lost 40% of their portfolio. Not you. You made 7%. No. If you decided to take that 7% and invest in upside options, but the market just crashed, you made 0%. And if somebody would say, well, why would I be happy that I made 0%? Because everybody lost money. Everybody else lost 40%. Right. That's when zero is your hero. Zero is your hero. Absolutely. You have been the first person to, I I was telling you last night that I have been, since I became a public adjuster, started making some money. Uh, I was part of a lot of networking groups and stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, you run into people who sell just this. Yeah. And you were the first person to actually explain it to me where I could actually understand it. I hope the viewing public and the listening public also. I hope so. Yeah. Because once again, one thing that I plan, my goal is to keep making it as simple as possible. I know that I lost some people in the weeds. I, that's just what's going to happen. But I hopefully a lot of people understood what I was saying because they don't have to utilize me. A lot of people have family members and friends that do life insurance. But all I got to say is not everybody's a Bentley. That's Most right. of these guys are Chrysler 300s. They're just general physicians. They're not specialists. All right. Ready? Let me try to explain it. All right. All right, for the audience, all right, because mm. I am I am layman. Yeah, all right, so, I am layman. Layman's terms. Basically, you could use this thing, and what Randolph is talking about is you're not necessarily using it in case you die. That's not really what it's for. It's what it's for, right? Ultimately, yeah. all right. But let me get to my point. Um, you're kind of using it as a savings account, a replacement for a savings account. So, like for example, I have a credit union. I mean, that thing makes like one percent. I think like it's ridiculous. Yeah. There's the really, that. yeah, there's no point in me having it in there. I've always liked to have it in there because I don't know. I just know that money's there. I know it's safe. It's not going to go anywhere, Liquid, yeah. but it ain't doing nothing. Mm-hmm. It's just literally just sitting there. And if anything, inflation is probably yeah. going down. It is. Um, so I'm thinking of probably taking that money and doing this. And the reason mm-hmm. why is because this IUL is like a savings account. So instead of the credit union, that's not making any money. I could put it into the IUL, let's say $50,000. And not now I've, at least I have it in an account that's going to be making money, 7%, mm-hmm. instead of the normal 1%. And just like the credit union, where I could just walk into the credit union and I could withdraw money, I could take this IUL and I could borrow instead, but I'm still getting the cash yep. the same way I would be getting the cash at the credit union, mm-hmm. right? And I could still use my IUL money, and it's basically the same thing. And there's there's it's tax-free, so it's just like you're taking it out of a bank account. Mm-hmm. And... Really, it's not going to hurt you because it's only going to, I guess, quote unquote, I guess, affect you or hurt you if you die the next day. And that 40,000 bucks or whatever that you withdrew just gets taken off the ultimate policy. And your family has money to offset them not having you. Right. 
Now, right, here, exactly. That's like that's like the the icing on the cake. Yeah. So here's the grand finale. Let's say you're in the insurance. How industry. did I explain that, by the way? No, that was perfect, bro. Right, you are layman. <laughs> Thank you. That's so that's the name of your book. I am layman. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> How you just failed your way into success? That's it. I am layman. Hey, man. That's it. <laughs> so, so here's the grand finale. Let's say you're like a typical person in the insurance industry, and you're averaging at least six figures a year. And let's make it a hundred thousand, just to make it an even number. And over ten years. You've deposited $100,000 into this thing. So 100,000 times 10 equals a million, right? And let's say over 10 years, you've borrowed 90% of the money that you put in there. So you deposited a million over 10 years. And over 10 years, you've borrowed and utilized just the rest of your life what you would have normally done, $900,000. Right. After 10 years... What's seven to 10% of a million dollars? Yeah. 70 to $100,000. Literally, after just doing this for 10 years, not really feeling it, you're just doing it because you 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 borrowing that money back. So you're still using it. You're still going on vacation. You're still having great dinners. You're still, t- you're still uh, taking care of your family. But at 10 years, you, find it, you have the option of retiring. Because if you are already comfortable making a hundred thousand a year, right now you're making that amount tax free every year, yep. for the rest of your life. Yeah. So now that's in a conversation we got into is if like your parents or whatever it is when you retire, you know at least you know for sure you're making that. Oh yeah, and, and, and some people guaranteed seven percent every year. And some people use this as their parents because a lot of people understand, you know. The circle of life. The reason why your parents are considered an insurable interest is because if the circle of ha- life happens the way it typically happens, mm-hmm. you're going to end up taking care of your parents. Yep. And if you're not around to take care of your parents, they also have to be offset financially for not having your you there available for them. But if you are around, you're going to be making an extra hundred thousand dollars a year if you put a million dollars in there over 10 years to take care of your parents. And this is what some people use it for. They, they already know that they're going to have to take care of their parents. But if they had the option, they would prefer it not be a financial detriment to them. Because what usually happens is people know they have to take care of their parents. They take care of their parents, but it ends up adversely affecting their personal life. Right. And a lot of people, they'll make that they'll make that choice. They will take a mediocre life to make sure that their parents' sunset years are taken care of. What if you have a specific account for them to where the interest that's being made off of that is taking care of them? Um, do you have to constantly be putting money into it or can nope. like, can like if, for example, like my example, can I just take my money from my credit and you put it in there and then just leave it there? And then yeah. obviously I could only take out or borrow a certain amount amount, but like I could just do that too. So the way it is, whenever you dealing with a real specialist, a Bentley, mm-hmm. right? They're they're basically structuring your policy to where the cost of insurance is on average approximately one percent or less. Mm-hmm. So you can dump some money in here without finishing it out for whatever reason. You're not you you weren't able to finish it out. Then every year. That on average of 1% is going to be taken out into the cost of insurance. Now, if it ultimately becomes to where that 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 trickle of money that's used to paying the low cost of insurance depletes it and the policy laps, hey, it laps. But if it's structured correctly, 
it's rare that it's going to do that. Because if you're dealing with a professional, I'm go- you're going to have a conversation with me first. You're like, hey, Randolph, I-, I believe in this. I know it's doing good, but this just happened to me. Do I have to keep paying? That's when I'm going to say no. And then that's when I'm going to run an illustration and I'm going to say, based off how much you have in here now and based off how we have it structured, this policy is going to lapse in 15 years. So you got 15 years to get your shit together. You know what I'm saying? What do you mean lapse? Lapse meaning that uh, there's not enough money in the reserves to cover the cost of insurance. You see what I'm saying? So 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 once again, so if you feel if what they call Matt's fund. Like if in within five, four, five years or four years in one day, you fund this to completion, you don't never have to worry about it. Lapping. What is completion is the actual limit of the of the policy. But what we do is I find out how much that you want to put up and then I work backwards. OK, so, for example, somebody could literally come to me and say, hey, man, all I got is a thousand dollars. OK, we're going to take it's going to take us five years, four years in one day to get that a thousand in there. Okay. And based off that a thousand and your age, that's how we're going to determine what your death benefit is. Uh-huh. And then once you max fund it after that four years in one day, you've you, you're done because the way I have it set up is the way once you get there, the death benefit is should match what you're what you're required to have in death benefit should match how much you have in there by that time. And then now it becomes what they call a cash cow. Wow. You know what I mean? So now that a thousand dollars is averaging what what's 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 seven to ten percent of a thousand? Seventy to a hundred dollars. Now that's not a lot of money. Right. Well it's only but, a thousand. But it but it's averaging more than what it would if you just had it sitting in a bank and it's still liquid. The definition of liquid funds is money that you're able to access within twenty four to forty eight hours. Once you log in here, you could call me if you want, and I don't mind, but you will have full access to your money. I can't touch your the only thing that I can do is set it up. I can't touch your money. I can't make decisions about your money unless you give me full authority to make that decision and change the way it's structured. But I can't touch your money. You're not when, whenever somebody sets it up, they're going to get uh, a paperwork from this uh, insurance company that's been around for 100 plus years. They're going to show them how they can access it via app. They're going to show them how they can access it via online. They're able to go in and click that borrow box. And say, hey, I want to borrow money and then that money will be deposited and they're going to give you two options. They're going to say either we're going to mail a check to you or we're going to electronic funds to you. Which do you want? So for, so for, so when you see that box, borrow or withdraw? Just make sure you borrow. Borrow. <laughs> and then do you want it in check or electronic funds? Electronic funds. You just got that money within 24, 48 hours. That's liquid money. That's the same uh, amount of time that it would take you to get that money out that savings account. Right. That savings account that uh, you were wondering why SunTrust or, or, you know, just any bank wondering why are they sponsoring events at the elementary school? It's because they're trying to convince you to be a part of the followers. Right. But they don't talk about this. When I got my chartered life underwriter designation and my chartered financial consultant designation, my instructor said, congratulations. You now know more than 99 percent of the rest of the world. That's another way. Another way of saying it. He said, you just officially became the top one percent. And you are, sir. Uh, Appreciate it, sir. That was awesome, man. Yeah, that's um, 
Yeah, that's 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 it. And so you didn't answer my question though. What was the question? <laughs> Hold on, let me know, man. Because <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm no, kidding. no, let me know. Let me know. How did you get into it? Why did you? Why did you make because this decision? I, because I wanted to still help people, but I wanted to know that, like, for, if I take all right. So I, I was. Su- what was the aha? What was the aha moment where you're like, ah, this is this is it. I I figured this out. <clears throat> all right. So I guess. Initially, the aha moment was I, I had every public adjuster's dream. Uh, I had notoriety. I had constant flow of referrals. I had good price points. I had good colleagues and friends. I knew the apps that I needed. I knew the way to adjust. I knew everything. But guess what? I'm getting referrals. I didn't even want to call. Like, I, didn't, I don't even want to follow up. You know what I mean? And I did follow up, but it was like a, a, a pain. I'm getting notifications from these apps letting me know exactly when and where I got all I got to do is push a button and I'm going right to the uh, to the nucleus of the event. I'm not even paying attention to it. And then I'm realizing, yeah, I'm getting huge checks. But what happens when I stop working? Yep. They stop coming in. They stop coming in. One of the benefits about getting into this industry uh, uh, as a, a life agent is it's residual. Basically, when you look at that, when you look at your bill and it's going to say that one percent is going for cost of insurance. People are like one percent. Right. Like that's a ridiculous number. I say, well, would you rather be paying one percent for a cost of insurance or also paying one percent for a financial advisor and also paying taxes? Which would you rather have? Would you rather pay 1% for cost of insurance and not owe any taxes? Or would you rather pay 1% for a financial advisor and still owe taxes? Right. And then also have your family have to go through probate to even get to your money. Or do you want it to go to them seamlessly with no problems, tax-free? What do you want? Right. That usually fixes all that. So in short, to answer your question is, I had the, I, I had an amazing I had one of the most beautiful experiences in positions as a public adjuster, but I just wasn't happy. And I realized that if and when I stop working, money stops flowing. Right. So this lets me be happy. It lets me still help people uh, avoid financial catastrophe. And it lets me only, I only work 120 days a year. And you mentioned that. So it lets me work 120 days a year. It lets me help people avoid financial catastrophe. And when I stop working, I'm still making my interest off residuals every time people pay into this. And once again, don't worry about what I'm getting paid. I just accomplish your goal. Right. Don't worry about that. I'm only working 120 days a year. I just accomplish your goal. Don't worry about it's called the life insurance policy. Don't think about what it is. Think about what it does. I just accomplished your goal. So that's why I got into it. I love it. To accomplish goals. I love it. Mine and theirs. Yeah, but that's good. You know, you saw an opportunity, you took it, you realized maybe a little, uh, a little, I guess, deficiency in our industry Mm -hmm. and sort of difficulty and you were able to sort of, you know, figure it out. You're still working claims though, right? I help. I consult. Okay. So I consult people on claims. Like, so for example, people reach out to me still to this day, ask me questions and it's just ingrained into me. I'm, I'm a CPCU designee and I've also got, you know, so much hands-on experience. I don't mind answering questions. However, day-to-day claims, no, not really that much. I'm going to be honest. Right. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not doing it that much, but 
you know, I still got the knowledge. It's still ingrained with me. I consult with people. There's, there's people that's in my area that reach out. We have lunch. I'm still available for lunch. Uh, they're not just PAs, but also independent adjusters reach out to me because a lot of independent adjusters, not only are they probably the first people in their family to make more than six figures a year. They're also the first people in their family to be working as a 1099 instead of a W2. What does that mean? That means that even if your friends and family who are averaging 30 grand a year as a W2 employee has the best intentions, their information is innately flawed because they haven't experienced what you've experienced. They, they haven't made over a hundred thousand a year. Right they else. haven't been responsible for keeping up with their taxes as a 1099 majority of their tax uh, burden is, is taken care of by the, uh, the employer. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a different vibe. So I have, I even have independent adjusters just because they can see that, you know, I'm just one of those people where I'm not, I'm not adversarial. Uh, it is what it is. They reach out to me and mostly it's not about handling claims. It's about money. They want to, they want to know about, all right, what's, wh- how do I get this job? And they also want to know about, all right, how do I manage this influx of cash that I never had? And I always listen to my mother and my grandfather and my father, but it's obviously that they don't know, at least for this instance. Now, when it comes to other things in life, listen to them. But when it comes to people who have never made that type of money, innately it's not, you know, it's hard. <clears throat> um, we should probably wrap it up then. Man, I appreciate you. That was awesome. Um, what was I going to say, though? There was one more. Where do babies come from? So it's like a stork. Have you reduced your stress level? Without the working day-to-day claims? Yeah, man. Well, you know, I, I was already a stress-free guy, especially with the way that I handled my claims. Uh, I, I didn't argue with people. A lot of my claims went within 60 days. Either what they either were completed. Or within litigation. Or litigation. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, or, no, either. All right. So, in 60 days, they were either uh, settled or at day 61, I, I had a, if it appraisal was in the policy, I demanded appraisal. Right. And that and usually when you're dealing with appraisers, it's a little easier. Yeah. Right. Or like you said, if there isn't litigation, if there is an appraisal in the policy. Oh, yeah. We're going straight to uh, litigation. lit. Oh, yeah. So I always I already had a stress free life, but it's a little bit less stress now. All right, man. Well, thank you for coming by. Thank you for coming over and thank you for being the first interview. At the home studio. Hey, we got the workout in. We hung out. Uh, Yeah, it was a beautiful experience, man. You're the man, Randolph. Thank you so much. You are the man as well. All right.